0: Alright, we can open up first to Luke chapter 4. We are still in the book of Acts, but we're starting in the other book that Luke wrote, the Gospel of Luke. And tonight's sermon is called, A Blind Man Sees. And so we're going to see the ministry of uh, Jesus' healing of the blind. And so we see that spoken of here in Luke chapter four. We can start in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is where Jesus was raised from a young child, and he's going to his hometown. And it says. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind." to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is probably one of my favorite passages in the Gospels, where Jesus Reads this prophecy of himself that was written 700 years before and says it's being fulfilled here and now. And uh, it continues here in verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also hear in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And we're gonna sort of revisit that verse a little later on. He continues, but I tell you truly many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Again, we see this sort of theme throughout the gospels and, and we're seeing it in Acts 2 where sort of a simple truth is spoken and people get filled with wrath. And the reason that they were so angry is because they're like, yeah, like this Jesus is doing all these crazy things. He's casting out demons. He's doing these miracles. He's doing these amazing healings. Like people's arms are growing back. People are blind and they're being healed they can see again. Like we want to see this stuff. And Jesus says elsewhere, a a wicked and perverse generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to them except that of the prophet Jonah. And his point is here, what we just read is he says that Elijah and Elisha, they could have healed anybody, but they went to these Gentile nations. God called them to these Gentile nations to heal them. And his point is the same that we've been talking about throughout this series is that the point of healing, the point of miracles, the point of the casting out of demons and and these crazy gifts of the Holy Spirit is to point people to God. And in both those stories, as you read in the Old Testament that Jesus here references, you will see that there's a specific verse in, in each story where it says, and because this thing happened, these people believed th- that the God of Israel was the, the only God. And that is the point of these miracles, not just to, like, look what I can do. Like, oh, cool, miracles. And so what Jesus is, 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 says throughout his ministry and what he's saying here is, you don't need miracles. You have me. I was raised here, and I'm preaching to you now the word of God. You have everything you need. You don't need to see all these crazy miracles. What you need to do is believe. And so that's his point, and as we continue this couple couple other verses, it says, And they're filled with wrath, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. <laughs> then he went down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and was teaching to them, on the Sabbath. And here again we see sort of this cool thing that the Holy Spirit does of making people sort of and this is the way I would the way I have always been taught it and, and always pictured it too is where they're all focused on Jesus. Their point is to throw him off this cliff, to kill him, they're angry at him, and he just like walks through them. It's almost like they're focused on where he was and then they don't see him and he's just like walking through them. And like, where, where'd he go? And he just goes his way. Gently Calmly, And the Holy Spirit makes it possible for him to just get out of the situation because it's not yet time for him to be killed. So the focus here, the reason I read the whole passage, again, we're talking about a blind man seeing. But I wanted you to see some parallels that we're, we're going to see in our story tonight and in Acts in general where Jesus, his ministry continues through Acts. And people continue to persecute his people in the same way that Jesus was persecuted simply for healing people and doing good and pointing them towards God. This this ministry of healing the blind, it's both physical and spiritual, which we'll look at next in John chapter 9. We can turn there. What translation are you reading? New King James. Jesus heals this man and of course the, the Pharisees want to get to the bottom of it like who would possibly want to heal you (laughs) especially on the sabbath and so they question him they do all these things they end up casting this guy out of the synagogue and jesus goes and finds him uh and he asks him this question in verse 35 do you believe in the son of man and the guy's response is basically like tell me who he is and i'll believe like you healed me of blindness like i will believe what you tell like who is he You tell me, and sure. (laughs) Basically, it's like, I I do what you say. And and Jesus says in verse 37, you've both seen him, and it is he who's talking with you now. Then the guy says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And in verse 39, it says, and Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? (laughs) Dangerous question to ask Jesus. And he responds, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. And Jesus' point here is not all blind people have no sin, obviously. But what he's saying is, Blind people have a certain humility, and they go into it saying, yep, I'm blind. Like, this is, like, I just admit it because it's the truth, and this is how it is. And so there's a humility that they take into this relationship with God, whereas these people are saying, we see everything, we know everything, we are right, you are wrong, and they position themselves above God, and no matter what God is doing through Jesus, they reject and they say, no, you are wrong. We are right. We, we have our idea of what the Christ will look like, and you're not it. So therefore, you are wrong because our ideas are right. And so he's saying there's a spiritual blindness that they have. So we see here that this healing of blindness that Jesus does, it's both a physical healing that he does for this man, but then he speaks of this blindness, this spiritual blindness that the Pharisees have. So... Last time we were in Acts, we can turn there now to chapter 9, the wicked Saul was saved. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, an amazing, gracious thing that God did for this man. And he is stricken blind by the glory of Jesus, he's told to go into this town, and another man of God is told to go meet him, we went over this last time. And we can pick it up in verse 17. It says, in, And Ananias, this is the man that God called to go speak to Saul. It says, Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Again, this is a powerful moment because Ananias knew about Saul. This is the man who kills Christians, He's, he takes them prisoner, he takes them away to punish them. And he kind of questions Jesus, like, are you sure? Like, this guy? And Jesus is like, yep, this is my guy. So go talk to him. So it's a powerful moment for Ananias to go into him, lay his hands on him, and say, brother. Because this man has hated Christians and hated Christ for so long. Uh, he continues, Ananias, he says, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the holy spirit. So here we see that Saul his blindness is going to be healed. But it's also his spiritual blindness. Saul gets this crazy cool double healing where his physical blindness is being healed, but his spiritual blindness is being instantly healed at the same time. Verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Again, these two things happening sort of at the same time. Spiritual blindness, physical blindness being healed. So when he received food, he was strengthened. Now, Saul's been fasting and praying for three days. He's weak, and uh, fasting is one of those things that, like, It's not talked about a lot. It's not taught about a lot. But it is something that Christians still should think about and still should do. When you're going into a a tough season that you know is going to be tough, prepare yourself and take some time to fast and pray, whether it's of food or technology or whatever super important thing that you feel like you can't live with. That's what you fast so that every time you think about it, you don't partake in it. Instead, you pray and you spend that time with God, preparing yourself either for a next season or a tough decision. God, I don't know what to do. I need your help. And you take some time to fast. But with that being said, when you're about to go into a ministry, right, you've done your preparation. It's time to move forward. It's time to eat and have your wits about you, have your strength about you. And I love uh, I was reading Matthew Henry. He's a commentator, and I was reading about this, and it's, it says that he he took bread, he took meat, and he was strengthened. And it's like, yes, like that is that is good. <laughs> Take meat, be strengthened. Actually, just today, I was super crazy busy demolishing our front porch. I didn't eat anything till like five thirty, and I was like just starved. And I was like, I gotta go over my notes. I gotta be prepared tonight about tonight. I need my wits about me. I need I need to be sober minded. I need to be strengthened. So I before I went over my notes, before I thought about it, before I prayed about it, sit down, eat, take strength, and then go into the ministry. Continuing in verse 19, then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So what we're going to see here is the three days he had of blindness, thinking, praying, silence. Then we see this some days. Soon we're going to see many days. There's these three sort of time slots that we're going to look at tonight, and these some days, this is the verse, verse 19 is where we sort of left off last time, and I wanted to stop there last time because he spent some days with the disciples and there's a little pause here that I wanted to sort of honor, right? Cause it, it could have been a couple of days. It could have been a week. It could have been two weeks where he's just spending time with the disciples in Damascus. And Saul needed some time to get his mind right, right? This is a time for silence for Saul. He has spent time in silence, fasting, praying, total darkness and blindness, and there's silence there. Then he spends some time with the disciples, and he is listening, he's learning, and I imagine that there are an overwhelming amount of revelations hitting him all at the same time, in this time that he's spending with the disciples in Damascus. Saul knew a ton of scripture. He probably had massive portions, if not the entire uh, five books of the Old Testament, committed to memory completely like he knew a ton of scripture and in these days i am betting that there were a ton of aha moments where they're talking about what jesus said they talked talking about what jesus did and he's just going oh my gosh and it says in this psalm this and it says in this book this and it said oh and isaiah said this and everything's clicking and it's starting to make sense for this guy and Spiritually, the scales are falling off of his eyes, and he can finally see, and he's just blown away by it because he's finally humble. No longer is he the Pharisee, the Jew of the Jews. I have figured it all out. I know everything. I I learned from Gamliel. I'm this like great man. No longer is that Saul. Instead, he's like oh, like Jesus totally humbled him on that road. And he's now able to enter in, in a time of silence and learning. And I was thinking about this, I can see vivid colors, and I've always been able to see very vivid colors, but I still exclaim when I see a sunset, like, wow look at that, which is a funny phrase, right? Like we're all looking at it, but like, it's like, you just exclaim because the beauty of the thing, right? Imagine what that would be like if you'd never seen a sunset. Like, what would you do? Like, wow. Like, look at that beauty Like you couldn't help, but to just, exclaim about the beauty that you're seeing, even though everyone else has seen it, like, you're seeing it with new eyes, and you're like, this is incredible, and that's what Saul does here in verse 20. It says, immediately, I, I love it, because once it clicked, he couldn't help but proclaim the truth. It says, immediately he preached to the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroys those who call on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews when he dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And I love that it says here that he's increasing all the more in strength. Earlier, he took food and was strengthened. Now, spiritually, he's strengthened even more, even though they're like, who is this guy? Like, we know who he is, but like, what's he preaching Jesus for? And he's just, he's growing in physical strength. He's growing in spiritual strength. He's finally spiritually healed and physically healed from his blindness, and he's moving forward with his ministry. And uh, if you remember what we read about Stephen... It said that the people who he was having this argument with, it says that they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And now, we see here that Saul is is stepping into Stephen's shoes, and he's sort of taking up the ministry of the same person whom he killed not long ago. because. Saul was the man who led that argument with Stephen, which ultimately led to the murder, the the martyr of Stephen. And Jesus told Ananias that he would show Saul how many things he must suffer for Christ's sake. And that suffering, that persecution, is about to start in Saul's ministry here. But Saul has dished it out for quite some time. And what we see throughout Saul's, he becomes Paul, and what we see throughout his ministry is that he's he's now willing to take the persecution that he dished out for so long. And that continues through his whole ministry. And Jesus says, I'm going to show him what he's going to have to suffer for Christ's sake. And he he takes it willingly. And I imagine that every time something happened to him, he he just thought to himself, I've done worse. Even when they stone him, they leave him for dead. He's laying there in the muck and the blood, and he's like, I, I actually killed righteous people. I've done worse. So he gets back up, spoiler alert, he goes back into the town <laughs> and, and preaches to the people who just tried to kill him. And we see this grace in in Paul uh, in his later years, and and even here in verse 23, it says, Now after many days, right? Three days of silence and blindness. Some days with the disciples. It could have been weeks. Many days. We don't know what this many days is. It could have been months. It could have even been years. Uh, But Saul was in Damascus for a long time. That's the point. And eventually, the Jews there get fed up. And it says, he was there for many days, and the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him that's that's an intense like the plot is real the plot is happening and they're they're watching the gates day and night and it says then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a basket in a large basket this is sort of reminiscent of Joshua chapter 2 I imagine the Christians are like hey I read this somewhere we could do that to help Saul escape And this is only one verse in this story, but it could easily be an entire TV episode, right? Like these people are seeking to kill him. They're watching the gates day and night. He's going this way. Oh, shoot. There they are ducking into an alley. Oh, let's try this other gate. Nope. They're watching that one too. They are on the watch. They are on the prowl to kill Saul. And I, again, this is not biblical, but I sort of imagine that one of the wall guards is like, Hey, I read this thing in Joshua. I can get you on the wall. Let's help him escape. And that's how I would make that TV episode. (laughs) Saul escapes. Verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. That is totally understandable. Especially (laughs) in Jerusalem. Like, that's where he started... What he thought was a ministry of killing Christians. His rampage of hating and murdering Christians started in Jerusalem. And he, he took that 150 mile up to Damascus. He's now taking that 150 mile trip back. And these people are like, yeah, we know this guy. Like he killed our people like on a regular basis. He he captured them. He stoned them. And I would say it's okay to be cautious with people who have proved themselves to be unsafe people. Right? But, to love somebody is to believe and hope all things. It's part of the definition of the biblical uh, definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Believe all things. Hope all things. That's a good way to, to love people. Right? So when people say things, you love them by believing them. You, you hope that what they're saying is true. And there is a crucial balance here that is super hard to strike. And what I would say is when there's unsafe people coming back into your life or trying to, look for genuine change. And when genuine change is there, we need to welcome those, even those who have proved themselves dangerous in the past. And this is super hard. Like, there's no easy way to do this, because you're always going to be like, ah, like this, <laughs> this guy? Like, I don't know. And, and so what I will say is that we need people like Barnabas. And we see here him here in the next verse, but Barnabas. And I, I don't know if you guys remember the meaning of this guy's Barnabas is his nickname. Do you guys remember that? At the very end of chapter 4, the meaning of Barnabas and the apostles gave him this name, it's son of encouragement. We love this guy. <laughs> like, this guy's spiritual gift is encouraging others. And somebody who has the spiritual gift of encouragement, they are always going to strive to better Christian community. Like that is something that we need more of. And that is something that we love. We need that. We, we, we love Barnabas. We need to be more like him. And I would also say, I think he's probably got the gift of discernment as well. That's, that's the gift where you are able to, speak to somebody, maybe not even for very long. And you, and you kind of have, you pick up on their spirit. You're like, mm, this guy's dangerous. Or like, wow, this guy like loves the Lord. And and you you know them intimately even before you know them that well. And I've seen that in my mom. I've seen that in Annie where she just, and one story I'll share quickly. Uh, my mom, we were going to a church. I was very small and I don't remember this, but my, my dad has told it. Uh, to me many times and this guy came into the church he was super helpful and wanting to be a part of everything and my mom's like where are the kids? and my dad's like what? what's going on? she's like where are all four of my kids right now? I need them here now and my dad's like alright so he gathered. he's like what's going on? she's like that guy over there didn't even meet the guy saw him got something in the spirit and was like can't don't trust him like I don't know but don't trust him he grew in favor with the, the church leaders, got on church leadership, and ultimately ended up stealing a lot of the church's money. And my, my dad had told the leaders, like, hey, I, I don't know what it is, but, like, my wife and me, we don't feel good about this guy. And my dad wasn't on leadership, but he was, like, trying to, you know, be a part of the body, and uh, they just kind of brushed it off, and, and he stole from them. And it wasn't anything that he was necessarily doing, but the, spirit of dis- or the, the spiritual gift of, of discernment is often the spirit will sort of make that prevalent. And so I, I would say my guess is that we see the spirit of discernment and encouragement working together in Barnabas here. Let's uh, read 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he spoke to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Uh, quickly, it says here that he saw the Lord on the road. We read during the story that the men who were with Saul, they heard the voice, but they didn't see anyone. So some people try and disprove the whole story because it's like, well, Saul didn't see him. But here it says that Saul saw, and Saul saw him, the people who were with him didn't. That's how it went down. We don't know all the details, but that's how it went down. Back to the point of this verse. Barnabas here does six things that that we're going to mention. He befriends Saul. He sticks his neck out for Saul. Right? He doesn't just say yeah, yeah let's meet up for coffee but like don't tell anybody we met up and like you can't hang <laughs> out with us but like we're friends but we're you know are we uh, <laughs> he, he sticks his neck out for Saul though he brings him around right he for sure his name is son of encouragement he encourages Saul like dude come on I know what they said but come with me everything's gonna be alright I'm gonna take care of this right he bears Saul's burden he, he's like, I know it's hard. I'm gonna. We're gonna do this together, right? And he not only sticks his neck out for Saul, but number five, he speaks for Saul. He gives Saul's testimony for him. Like, hey, get, like I'm gonna. I'm trustworthy. You guys know me. You trust me. I'm in this community. <laughs> and and here's what happened. Here's what Saul did. Number six. He welcomes and leads Saul into his own Christian community. He takes Saul with him to his own friendship, to his own friendship circle, into the apostles, and is like, hey, I know you don't want to trust him, but trust me. Like, he's basically vouching for Saul here. So, let's learn a lesson from Barnabas and not be clicky. Uh... If there's an outcast, let's be Barnabas to that person. People are like, yeah, I don't really want to hang out with that person. Like, let's bring them into our community. Let's be not only Barnabas to them, but let's be Jesus to them. Like, let's love them properly. Let's bring them into our community. And with that being said, I and my friends, and I I used to be clicky in high school. I used to say things like, you can't hang out with us if, and there would be these (laughs) things. And one of the things like... If you, you don't if you don't have a thick skin or if you're not sarcastic, you just can't hang with us because we were sarcastic to the point of just being cruel and mean and we would hurt each other and we thought it was it was cool, but I soon found out it's not cool and it tears community apart and so when I left that sort of friendship group, I left that church because it was sort of a weird culture of all kinds of stuff and I sort of vowed, like, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I'm not going to be clicky. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not, I'm going to be a different person. And after that point, I have been called clicky, me and my friends, many times. Like, oh, like, well, they're just too cool to hang out with anybody. And it's always bugged me because it's like, that is literally the opposite of what I'm going for. (laughs) And so... What I'll say here is that there are many who reject community, and then they blame that community for rejecting them, when really, they shoved the community away. It wasn't the community that did anything. Like, me and my friends, we always had an open door. If you're around, come on with us. And then people would still say that we were clicking, didn't want them around. I'm like, we literally in- invited you many times, but you rejected us. And so if the tables turned there. And forcing someone like that into a godly community can actually be very dangerous. And Saul, after he becomes Paul, years and years later... He will write about avoiding and separating from people who revile God and revile God's people. He will write very clearly, don't hang out with those people. That's going to pull the entire community apart. That is not good for godly community. If somebody is rejecting, reviling God and his people, that is not somebody that you want around. Again, this is Super tough and sensitive issue, and it takes a ton of wisdom to maneuver, and it, I would say it's impossible. It's impossible to maneuver these tough situations, and you, you need to get on your knees and say, God, I, I don't know. And, and a prayer that I have prayed in my life in these tough situations is, God, send your spirit of truth, because that's what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Send your Holy Spirit into this situation and and please just shed light into the darkness. And that's all I can can do. I need others to see the light. I can't shed the light. Like, I I can try and maneuver this the best I can, but I need your help. And that's how we need to approach these situations. I don't know if you guys are going through any of this, but I will say you probably all will at some point where friendships get rough, they get tough, you don't know how to deal with the whole community or how to maneuver around these people who kind of prove themselves to be unsafe. So take that with you, pray about it, and know that you cannot do anything in this type of a situation. You need the Holy Spirit, you need God, you need the grace of Jesus to carry you through those tough situations. But here, Saul, back to the story, we see that he's a changed man. He is seeking godly community. He's not rejecting it. He wants to be around them. He's trying to be around this community. And they're kind of like, "Nope, like, we got other stuff. We made plans, like, see you later. But Barnabas, filled with the Holy Spirit, he leads Saul into this godly community. And in verse 28, it says, so He was with them at Jerusalem, coming and going. He is freely coming and going and fellowshipping with these Christians. Praise God. Verse 29, And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. This is Saul's old community. This is the community that he led to argue against and ultimately kill Stephen. He goes and he speaks to his old friends about the truth and about Jesus. And they sort of follow in his old man's footsteps. And they follow the way Saul used to lead. But they attempted to kill him. He goes to bring them the love of Christ and the truth and to preach to them. And they... They don't plot to kill him, like in Damascus, you'll notice. They attempt to kill him. (laughs) They actually make an attempt on his life. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Saul is, if you remember, he's been called Saul of Tarsus many times. That's where Saul is from. The apostles send him home. Like, you gotta go. And... He goes home to his hometown, much like Jesus did, to preach to the blind who were there, much like Jesus did. And as we read in the story of Jesus preaching in his hometown, no prophet is accepted in his own country. So we know that Saul is going to continue to go, to continue to preach in the name of Jesus, and that he will suffer more things in his hometown. And in verse thirty-one, it says, "Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, finally, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They finally have peace. For whatever reason, the Jews stop persecuting Christians as soon as Saul leaves." Uh, and Saul was always the aggressor. And he's been gone. And I imagine when he went to Damascus, there was this like this sort of feeling like, whew, he's gone. All right. Like we can breathe. He has always been the aggressor. He's been the violent one. He's been the one breathing threats and murder, as we read before. And when he went to Damascus, I imagine that it, it was not as bad. He was the aggressor. And now that he's back, his presence is kicking up violence again. And the people who he used to lead are seeking to kill him. And they're getting, they would call themselves zealous in persecuting the church. And Paul will write later, because we see here that the apostles, they don't put him into ministry. Right? And it says he's speaking boldly in the name of Jesus and he's disputing against the Hellenists. But the apostles aren't like, hey, Saul, great job, man. Like, we're going to give you a ministry. We're going to put you up here and do this thing. But they don't do that. They send him home. And and I I imagine they're saying, well, "Let's He's kicking up violence and let's at least see if he lasts a little longer, like if this is for real. Is the fire going to burn out quickly? Let's give him some time." And it won't be for another year or maybe two years before Saul is sent out by the apostles and and before they call him an apostle. And Paul will write later, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. He's writing to Timothy talking about choosing elders and people who will lead in the church in Ephesus. And he says, don't, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. And here we see the apostles kind of, pumping the brakes, like, Saul, you're kicking up violence, you got to go, and it's probably good that you, like, take some years to, like, love Jesus and and walk out that life, and he continues to preach those year, maybe two years, before they send him out in, in ministry, and he's ministering because God has given him the calling, right? Even though his church won't send him out and give him the title and give him the ministry, He still continues in the ministry that Jesus gave him on that road. Because even though he can now see, right, his blindness has been healed, his spiritual blindness. He also knows how he is seen, right? He knows what he's done and he will live with that burden of what he's done for the rest of his life. And we can learn a lesson from Saul, obviously, many lessons from the writer Paul, but here and also later, throughout his whole ministry, he's not entitled. He doesn't have a sense of entitlement about him. He doesn't go to his leaders and say, You don't get it? I was literally blinded by the glory of Jesus. Like I saw him. I talked to him. He gave me a ministry. He told me what I was going to suffer. Like, you don't get it. You need to give me a ministry. You need to give me a title. You just don't see who I am and who God has made me to be. That's not how he approaches it. All he has is only because God chose to heal him. And that's how he approaches his ministry. He's happy to do the work of God regardless of honor or title. And many, many years later, he'll say, I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Again, still carrying that old weight, like he killed Christians. And this is in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. And he doesn't think he's worthy even now. He's like, okay. And he just goes where they send him. Says, you want me to go home? Okay, I'm going home. And I say all this because our age group has a really bad reputation of feeling entitled and being angry with their church for not giving them what they think they deserve, for not giving them the title, for not giving them the ministry. Don't they know I'm an adult now? Don't they get it? Like I, you know, God wants me to do things. Don't they know that? And they get all mad at their church. And I would say If you have a calling from God, do that calling. Carry out that calling. Do that ministry. And if your church recognizes it as a ministry, fantastic. But if not, like that needs to be okay too. Because we need to ask ourselves who we're trying to impress. Like with the Pharisees, they wanted to be seen by men, right? They loved the high seats. They loved the title. They loved... Praying loudly on the, on the street corners Because they were seen by men And Jesus calls them Blind Because they claim they see They claim they know Oh, All these people They know that we know And they should know that we know And Jesus calls them blind But if you know you're blind And you just accept it for what it is I'm nothing special All I am is called by God And that's a glorious thing. And he has a specific thing he wants me to do. No matter how big or small or who thinks it's a ministry or not, like, that's amazing. God wants me to do stuff for him? Great. It's better than hell. (laughs) Like, Like, let's stop whining about our position and actually just carry out the calling that God has for our life, whatever that may be. And Johnny did that personal ministry series and I I hope you guys gleaned something from that because the whole idea there is just this doing what God has called you to do regardless of the attention you get from anybody including your church leaders or your church in general but enter into that ministry with humbleness knowing that you're just a blind beggar that Jesus decided to heal and, and walk in that knowledge and be thankful for the healing and also all the gifts that God continues to give us. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to thank you for healing us. For sending Jesus in his healing ministry of healing the brokenhearted and healing the blind and setting captives free. And everything that he accomplished on the cross, God, is an incredible miracle that I never want to lose sight of. And his conquering of sin and death through the resurrection just sealed the deal, God. And and I thank you for sending Jesus to us, uh, uh, just a sick world And I thank you for healing us, setting us free, and giving us jobs that you want us to do. It's a glorious thing, and I pray that we will confidently walk in that ministry that you have us to do, whether it's speaking to people on the street that we encounter, whether it's serving in our church, or whether it's just being a good witness at work and speaking at every opportunity that you give us there God whatever that ministry is God I pray that you would reveal it to us I thank you for the ministry I pray that you will fill us with your spirit and help us to carry out that ministry in a way that glorifies you and I pray that you will continue to reveal even if it's step by step the path that you have us to 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 walk on And I pray that uh, you will bless the rest of this evening, bless our fellowship, and help us to be glorifying to you in everything that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.